0: Hello and welcome to the Four Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dussek. And this week, my guest is Abby Liebenthal. Abby is one of those people in the golf industry that absolutely fascinates me and I think you should know about. She started out with the AJGA right out of Indiana University. As a Syracuse person, I actually feel that I'm being especially magnanimous by having an Indiana person. And I still haven't forgotten 1987, you Indiana folks. I still remember Keith Smart over Derek Coleman, but I digress. She then worked for the Tiger Woods Foundation. She then helped to run and manage Team Titleist and was really involved with social media at Titleist back in the day. And now she's involved with the U.S. Open and the marketing of the U.S. Women's Open for the USGA. But The biggest thing on Abby's plate is For the Ladies, which if you don't know about it, is a fantastic nonprofit organization trying to get more young professional women involved in the game of golf. So in the conversation you're about to hear, we talk about all of those things and how people like me, people who love golf and are experienced with it, can make the game more inviting and more open and hopefully a lot more fun for younger people to get involved with, especially younger women. So sit back and enjoy. making your first appearance on the four press podcast i would like to welcome abby liebenthal abby is one of those people that if you follow golf on social media you have seen her or you've certainly seen her work <laughs> just about everywhere instagram twitter uh abby liebs on twitter a b b y l i e b s you can also check out her stuff on instagram and she is i guess it's the founder the president the yeah. grand kahuna of the founder <laughs> yeah it's it's, it's, it's Give yourself a good business card have some fun with it <laughs> um for the ladies dot net you can check out a lot of the programs and things that you that we're going to be talking about quite a bit but abby how you doing what's new in new jersey
1: I, it's really cold yesterday it dumped snow um I'm really not cut out for it. But at the same time, I think I've just turned soft. I've lived in the Midwest my entire life and I should be able to be just fine. And still, I hate it. So, I
0: I grew up in Syracuse, New York. I went to school in Northern New York, a little place uh, called Canton, New York, St. Lawrence University. Uh, Good for hockey, good for once you're above age, having a, a beverage or five, um, and having a really cool golf course that was right behind my dorm, which was fun and being able to do that stuff. And and so, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm done with the cold. I look at people taking pretty pictures of places like Riviera, even pebble, which I know is never as warm this time of year as you think it should be. Sure. Um, and now that the, the tours are down in Florida, the, the women are playing at like Nona, the guys, or a concession you see those palm trees and i'm dying I'm, I'm done with it we've got a foot of snow that's still here in connecticut and um i'm just dying to get outside and it's just not gonna happen and uh it's depressing it's very depressing. did you get into as, as the pandemic lockdown sort of kicked in did you start hitting balls doing lots of putting inside what what you or were you just sort of working on things that 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 kind of thing didn't happen for you
1: um so the first week that we were at home, we ordered um, one of those just like putting mats from Birdie Ball mm-hmm. and um, took advantage of that for like a while, like had it like right in the middle of all our living space. But um, but then you're just like over it. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, we have the Pelotons, we, we have at least activities to keep us busy inside. But um it certainly gets a little, it, it's getting boring by the day. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's um. I think that everybody went on to Instagram and was showing themselves putting on various putting mats and this and that in March and April. It's like, aha, this is going to be the year I finally know how to putt. And you're still over it. <laughs> you know, it's like, and, and it's with the best of intentions. You're like, cause at, at the time, March, April, when things are locked down and in various States, you know, you, you really can't do much and a lot of golf courses were closed. It's like, okay, this is how I'm going to get my fix. And, I'm gonna watch all these old masters episodes on youtube which will be fun and i'm like yeah after two or three weeks you're just done with that and i did the same thing i actually scored a peloton right before everything happened my wife thought it was an extravagance and it's for sure real money but she then has become more addicted to it i think she just hit like 250 or 300 rides i've done a couple hundred great and uh yeah she had an this epiphany the tuesday before things really went down she was looking around and she did sort of this not crossfit but but sort of a training thing out you know four mornings a week with 30 people and mm. rotating around and she's like i got grossed out like just the whole idea of like yeah. everybody sweating and breathing and we're really cramped in and it's 5 30 in the morning and she's like no and she didn't think she would like it but she ended up doing that you have a um a really really unique background in terms of golf and the things that you have done. How did you get started? And sort of walk me through what what your introduction to golf is. I think I know this, but I want to hear it from you.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, golf in general, um, I grew up playing in Toledo, Ohio. My dad's a big golfer, so I was just introduced to it at a young age. Um, and we played a lot in the summer. I mean, that, living in Toledo, Ohio, we, we have four seasons. So um, we played a lot of golf growing up. And then um, once I got to the college, I always thought I wanted to be a journalist more in the fashion space, but um, quickly realized how competitive and how much I, I don't really know about fashion. So when I was at IU... Um, I spoke to one of my internship advisors and she recommended I check out the American Junior Golf Association internship. Um, I told her I was, you know, I was a casual golfer. It was something I did as a hobby um, and I still continue to kind of do it on the side. So she recommended the AJGA internship. So I got the internship and I did it for two summers. It was so much fun. I quickly realized I would love to work in golf if I had the opportunity and I'm gonna do everything I can to get there. So back at school, I was the beat reporter for the Indiana Daily student um, for golf. And yeah, just continued my journey from there. Um, I received a full-time job at the AJGA after I graduated and it has just kind of spiraled from there. I've worked in golf ever since 2012 um, when I graduated from IU and have worked in different Industries in golf and different um, places and nonprofit versus for profit. But um, it all started with my experience at the AJGA, which is still to this day continues to provide benefits to me, uh, which is pretty amazing. And, and one of those ways being like, I saw a lot of the junior golfers at the time who are now LPGA and PGA tour players or Corn Ferry and Symmetra tour based on their age. Um, I'm getting to see them continue their journeys in playing competitively. So um, it all started with the AJGA and um, it's kind of continued from there. I mean, it's it's a laundry list, but it's um, it's been rewarding in every single way. So from the AJGA, I went and worked for the Tiger Woods Foundation in which I supported um, their media efforts and helped at the PGA Tour events that the Tiger Woods Foundation runs um, in order to raise funds for the foundation side of things. Um, I learned a lot there and learned a lot about working for one of the greatest athletes of all time. But I also learned a lot about um, education and and STEM and other parts uh, outside of golf. And then i also learned about how golf can you know be a force for good when it comes to providing the funds and the awareness about you know things that people should be paying attention to such as education in the tiger woods foundation case
0: So, um, it, if i can sort of interrupt you real quick how yeah. is it for somebody who's getting started in the world of golf to actually love the sport it, it's it sort of seems like an obvious thing that if you really are passionate about it you realize well my future is not going to lie on playing to pay the mortgage and the bills and in that regard. Um, you you show up, you, you have the idea of going into fashion and different types of journalism and writing. You get encouraged to go to the AJGA, which is cool, and you, you land that internship. You happen to have golf background, which is one of the reasons why I'm sure that, that you sort of were encouraged that way. But how critical is it for somebody to actually really love and enjoy the game to be involved in the world of golf?
1: Yeah, I think like, you hit on it and saying that you have to really love it. You don't have to be really good at it by any means, yeah. but um <laughs> and but I think like you do have to love it. Um I think that the more that I have seen and worked in the industry, like I think that you need to have an expert niche in something. So for me it's like the digital marketing and the like community engagement. Like those are my passions. Um in the expertise, professional side of things, but you have to complement it with a love for golf. Um, I don't think you need to be a golfer, but if you can at least pay attention and be intrigued by the sport and know who the people are and and why golfers love it so much and understand that mentality, then then you'll be in a good spot.
0: Someone once told me that you your vocation and your avocation to pull out the SAT words and all that stuff this morning. Um, you want to keep them separate because you can burn out on things really easily. And yeah, I, I think that there's a, a measure of truth, but but you find, or at least I have found, that a lot of people in the industry um, were passionate about the game, loved it, and it's almost as if like you can't imagine them doing something else. You can't imagine them being an accountant or an architect or a sure. lawyer or you know working as it, totally legitimate professions and careers. But but these people are so enamored with this game and all the different facets of it, th- where the hell else would they be? Like they'd be missing yeah. anything else. And it's almost as if like you were destined and it's, I don't you know, mean to get on into fate and all, but this is who they are. And I don't know that they can burn out on that. If they sort of find, as you're saying, like that one little area of this very vast golf sort of space, they can own that part of the space or they can be in right. that part of the space. And there are a lot of different rooms within it. I think you and I may have met, it might have been at Euronimink for one of the tournaments, or it might have been at Congressional. I forget. They Probably Congressional. It, um, where it was, I don't know if it was the AT&T National at that point, or if it was Quicken Loans, or...
1: Quicken Loans, yeah.
0: <laughs> it all starts to blend together. I, that was always a great tournament for me to go to, because I could drive living in yeah. New York at that point. It was like a four and a half or five hour drive if I timed the traffic just right. The courses were great. Um, being around Bethesda, Maryland was was nice. There's plenty of convenient stuff. Um, at a week-to-week event, when you were working for the Tiger Woods Foundation, you said you were involved with media and jamooks lo- like myself. What what was your role? Like, what were you doing? I would see you up at the front desk, um, and then I had my head down when I wasn't out on the range or following golfers, like banging away my keyboard. What were you doing?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was my first experience in kind of like media relations, um, I was truly doing the like grunt work to put it simply. Um, I was, you know, doing the media credentials and making sure press releases and ASAP transcripts were being printed and handed to all of you. Like I was, you know, I was just doing everything I possibly could. Um, But at the same time, like trying to, you know, take advantage of the opportunity as well, like meeting all the media, trying to have conversations with them, trying to understand, like, I didn't really understand what they were trying to achieve. And I I didn't, one time Tim Rosefort said to me, like, I was talking to him about something that I was like, oh, you should learn more about this and like be intrigued. He was like, you need to tell me like, why is this important? Like, why should I care? And so just conversation, having conversations like that um, was always beneficial to me and um but yeah i mean it was truly like writing press releases providing um foundation information to writers or to tiger woods foundation staff so they could speak upon it when they were on site um it, it was a true media relations like pr beginner level job
0: <laughs> yeah but that's you know what it's you, you learn quickly like those are the positions yeah. where there's like zero level of glory um and yeah. everybody like is as they say like you know, the crap flows downhill so you get the not fun jobs and from people like me the level of patience that we oftentimes display yeah. is pretty lousy because we're either writing on deadline or sure. we're getting pitched different things and to tim's point and tim's about as good a guy as you're ever going to meet certainly and, and ever sort of be around with the media center is we get pitched ideas and things like that from everybody. on All the time.
1: A hundred percent.
0: One of the things that my wife has taught me over the years and it finally got through my thick skull is that just because something is important to you doesn't mean right now it's important to somebody else. So waiting mm-hmm. on an email to be call, return, waiting for somebody to return a phone call, or if, if I'm working on a story and I'm like, I'm two lines away. If I can just talk to this one person or get a reply that I need, I'm done. Well, yeah, I'm done. But that doesn't mean somebody else isn't working on a million other things. And the people who work in media centers tend to be, um, number one, underappreciated. So, in a very belated way, thank you very much for your help on, a, on you know, fr- from the, everybody who works this. Um, but it's also can be like really stressful, just because like the immediate oh, center, yeah. somebody comes up to the desk and like they need something now. They don't need it in five minutes, they need it right this second. And um, I work obviously with Steve DiMeglio and he's the king of this, uh, where he's just like flying around like decapitated poultry. And I'm like, Steve, you have to relax (laughs) and just let the caffeine level come down because it's we're going to be fine. Everything is going to be. But it was
1: it was a good experience for me. I was just off the AJGA where everything was very focused on making sure tournaments ran smoothly and, you know, telling those stories, but also making sure like these kids are earning college scholarships. And then, you know, transitioning to a different role in which the stakes are much bigger i mean yeah. you know it's the tiger woods foundation um so so it, it overall it was it was an amazing experience um and i learned you know you just learn a lot you learn a lot about what is possible in golf and then what's possible with the help of the sport extending into like other spaces
0: so then you go to team Titleist. if i'm not mistaken yeah. Yeah. Yes. What, what, what was your role there and what was that like
1: yeah, so I had a mentor, um, Dave Navorian, and I was talking to him about how I've been in the nonprofit space for a bit. And I would love to continue to grow, but I don't really know how to do that. And he was like, you should check. You, you love golf. You still want to work in golf. You should explore the equipment manufacturers, apparel look at the businesses out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and title at the time had an opening for a social media coordinator. I did a lot of social for the American junior golf association and, and dabbled in it with tiger woods foundation. Um, so I applied and got it and my time there was awesome. I was there for five years and, um, a lot of things for I mean I oversaw social media organic and paid and then um also oversaw team Titleist which is their community um it's an online community where they also do some events in person and it's just it's their way of being you know closer connected to their customer um but I learned a lot about what I don't know (laughs) very quickly at Titleist um you know one just
0: Give me a for instance. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I didn't know anything about equipment. I knew I loved golf, but I didn't, I didn't know anything about equipment. Um, so you just put like your head down and try to like listen to all the R and D people and the marketers who have been there for a long time. Like you try to just learn as much as you can about, like, I didn't know anything about like moment of inertia and urethane and like. putter inserts like I didn't know anything about that like I just knew I liked playing golf so um that was like simply like just learn about golf equipment and why you know why Titleist is like the number one ball in golf like why learn about those things um so that was fun i'll
0: clue you into a secret that most people in those meetings are also totally bsing it and they don't know what moment (laughs) or coefficient of restitution or any of these acronyms actually means there's about three people in any like 20 person meeting that actually really knows who, you know what the, like, Stephanie Luttrell is going to be one of them fantastic
1: big, person big yeah big
0: brain very very yes. big brain if you're somebody who really likes titleist drivers or fairway woods yeah she's she should be on your holiday card list cuz she's the one and her team driving that stuff bill morgan when he was really driving the ship for the pro v1 pro v1 x like those are the people you get into a lot of the the folks on the periphery of that these are complicated things and I know just yeah. enough to realize I don't know anything. And and that's my job to know this. Yeah. It's so detailed. So coming from different backgrounds to this, um, yeah, it could be a daunting kind of a thing. How much did social media within golf change while you were there so because, much oh, right there in the sweet spot?
1: Oh my gosh. I, it like blew up. Um and and it blew up for all of the equipment manufacturers. You know, I came into it and Callaway is now thriving with their Callaway Media Productions. And TaylorMade has Ollie taking these amazing photos and videos. Like yeah. the space became competitive really quickly. So um it, it was just a really big learning curve. I also think that with social, the idea of sponsored social media posts and using advertising to Support all the content like that was still like a growing sector and and just understanding what all these different things mean Um, but I think overall like at Titleist I was quickly learning how how can marketing support the bottom line? How can marketing support the business? And and trying to understand that better, um, it was quite a learning curve for me, for, especially for somebody who always worked in nonprofit. I never had to like share a sales goal.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, why do I have to put this down? Because now it's going to be held against me if I don't meet it, is, is always the apprehension. How much, and this is not meant to be a loaded question, but as as that world in terms of online and social marketing is blossoming and we're seeing all different kinds of things being tried by different OEMs. And Mm -hmm. you're as dialed in probably as anybody at Titleist or the whole Acushnet world, which is Titleist and Footjoy and Vokey Wedges and Scotty Cameron Putters and, and all different kinds of kinds of things. How challenging was it at that point to get people who may not be fluent in social media to understand how these different mechanisms work and how it can directly go to bottom line? You can not only grow a community, which I would imagine, you know, 2014, 2015 people think like, oh, that sounds great. But what the hell do we do with it? How do we monetize it or get that to be something beneficial? And why am I listening to, you know, no offense, like somebody who might be like 25 or 26, tell me who's been here, you know, in an established brand for 25 years, like this is how we need to change the business.
1: Yeah, no, it, it was tough. Um, I spent a lot of time creating presentations about what social media is. I think that there was also the perception of, well, I have a Facebook, I have an Instagram, <laughs> I have a Twitter myself, so like I must be an expert. I'm going to Facebook. Um, yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's okay. Like, I, I, sure, like your contribution to social media is just as important as mine. But because I need you to share the Titleist stuff. I need you to like the Titleist posts. I need you to like engage with our stuff. So I think like that was more of what I was trying to explain to people at the time was like, we need we actually need you. We need your help because we need you to engage. We need you to share. We need you to comment on, on everything Titleist is doing so that we can continue to extend it. Because, um, you know, then you would run into silly things like well, I never see our posts. And so then you have to like try to explain like what an algorithm is. I'm, it's like it's like an extremely complex um outlet and and people are still figuring it out.
0: I, I can I've been in some of those meetings before. And um when I joined Golf Week in 2013, having come from Golf and Sports Illustrated, and the level of savviness within the organization around social media was I'm going to call us call out my own company. It was low at the time to say, to put it. Sure. Um, because everything changes really, really fast. I think everybody in the room when I did a presentation on it um, and, and helped out some other people who were doing it uh, as well, um, everybody had a Facebook account. And I'm right. telling him like, okay, Facebook is for the 40 and over crowd. You have to understand that, for example, my son backtracking like three or four or five years, whatever the hell it was, I'm like, he's... Doing different stuff like this is and if we're trying to get younger, more dynamic, or reach out to people beyond our own demo, like we need to go to where they are and be a part of that conversation on their terms, not necessarily totally. put this very simple thing out there. And it's a big leap of faith for a lot of people like, you know, they're busy with their own jobs and with their own responsibilities and to take on more and different stuff as it's continuously evolving. I think number one is humbling, which a lot of people just aren't willing to say, like, I don't know how this works. Sure. And it takes a willingness and an open-mindedness to listen to people who, because of the nature of the job, tend to be younger than they are, and to have faith that these people know what they're doing, and I'm going to trust them, even if they have less prolonged career experience, they know this better than I do. And I'm going to relinquish control. That's frightening for a lot of people. They, they really, and I think for brands, quote unquote, it can be really frightening, but it seems like most companies have given way to that, that you're willing to relinquish some of the control of the message sure. to your audience and be a part of that. It's got to be scary as hell though. How did you try and get people to understand and to buy in that like, we want to have conversations like this and we want to use these mechanisms to to grow our business and to grow our presence within the world of golf, but we're not always going to be in control of exactly how things are presented. That's, that had to have been tough.
1: Yeah. It's such a reactive industry in social media specifically, because you see somebody post something and you're like, Oh my gosh, they think horribly of us or somebody's going to see this and, and what are we going to do that? And it's fine. I, I think I always was just like, it's fine. It's not a big deal the post is gonna, there'll be something else in the feed that pisses everybody off in just a few moments, yeah, um, right? So I think it, it was more about providing examples. Look at this win that we had, look at, you know, somebody would share with us a hole in one that they had with the as Golf Ball and they tagged us and they did everything right. We had to continue to pull those moments so that we could share them later and say, hey, there, you know, we see a lot of negative on social media and that hasn't even changed in 2021. But there's a lot of positives too. Let's keep track of what those are. Let's make sure we engage with those moments and share those moments so that people see that we have we're having wins as well. I think that was like the the best way that I could share what social media could do was always making sure I pulled examples because like you can say it, but if you don't see it, you don't really believe. You can't believe us. So like me, who's 24 years old, or whatever I was at the time, mm-hmm. you're not going to necessarily believe what I have to say about how great social media is. But if you can see it, and if I can provide you a visualization, it's much easier.
0: So the trick for you becomes to understand the message that needs to be, you know, gotten across, gotten sure, English, major, gotten, <laughs> and my professors are cringing as, as I sit here. But but you have to put it in terms and in ways whether it's visual or auditory that that are going to strike like this is the language they speak oh yeah speak to the fact that like we got this really positive engagements and over the last quarter or the last month or whatever the time period is like look at how many people came and talked Titleist in this case right, right. about this or that you then have now transitioned well you're not wearing a blue blazer so I might you're <laughs> sort of incognito you're with the USGA these days what what is yeah. with the United States Golf Association what are you doing
1: So I work specifically on the U.S. Open. Um, I am the, like my title is the Senior Manager of U.S. Open Fan Experiences. Um, So I work on the Victory Club, which is the official fan club of the U.S. Open and of the U.S. Women's Open. Um, It's been a wild ride. I started February of last year. I was in the office for maybe three to four weeks. And then we all picked up and went Home, um, so it, it's been an interesting year. You know, I don't get those casual walk bys. I didn't get those opportunities to casually meet people as they saw. Oh, look, there's a new girl here. So um, it's it's been an interesting year. But I overall, I support the brand marketing team, and I work on the U.S. Open, but I get to touch a few other projects as well. Um, and I think I'm where I'm supposed to be. I. It's, it's been fun, you know. I started in nonprofit. I then worked for Titleist as well as Imperial Headwear for a few, for a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah, um and that was a quick one. That was a cup of coffee. It was quick,
1: it was very quick. Was yeah, quick. but I loved my time there. The okay. you know, the USGA came to me with this opportunity and I was like, I can't, I can't yeah. say no. So um I get to work on a major championship, which is amazing. And um, but I'm yeah, I do feel like I'm where I should be. I started in a nonprofit, went to for profit, and I'm kind of back. But now I get to, you know, I get to serve the industry, which I think is something I never even considered.
0: So far, be it for me to to shy away from asking the really stupid questions, but but why does the U.S. Open and the U.S. Women's Open need marketing? Like these are our, <laughs> and and I, I ask that sort of you know because I think it's the the quite like a, a tournament, for example, like the Masters doesn't need marketing. You get the Nance flowery language when you're watching something in December or January and people are just amped as all get out to be able to watch the Masters. And then through the Final Four Championship, I always, my my Masters lead up. And when I start to really get dialed in is when we get to the end of college basketball season. Because I know once the tournament starts, we're ending on the Monday of Masters week. So my Mm -hmm. Monday countdown is going. The US Open has been a huge hit. For oh I don't know a hell of a long time. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was fortunate enough to be again at Winged Foot this last year. I've been to the last several opens. It's it's amazing, like it's unbelievable. The U.S. Women's Open, and I want to talk to you specifically about that in just a second. This last November to me was enormous. It was it was epically successful in terms of just like its its presence on the calendar. I loved the fact that we had to have it. That we got to enjoy it. Number one was was also great. Um, What's the goal in terms of like marketing a major championship already? Why is this necessary?
1: You know, it's necessary because you think that because you are in the golf world. But as a major championship, we we should be extending beyond, beyond golf fans. We should be, people should be tuning in from across sports. And, you know, there is... There is a bigness to the U.S. Open, as you just shared, but we can do even more and we can. The beauty of the major championships is that people who don't tune in week after week to the PGA Tour, they may pop in and they may tune into um, a golf major championship. So I think there's just there's always a lot of work to do. Um, I think that. um, You want to also make it a better experience, I think, that. You know, we we have the golf fan, but just because we have them doesn't mean we shouldn't make the experience better. Whether that be across all every way that you can tune into the championship, we can always so, make it better for the fan.
0: So the aforementioned, and we're all sort of tired of talking about COVID strikes in March, and obviously it, everything sort of grinds to a halt. The PGA Tour picks things up in June. The LPGA Tour picks things up shortly thereafter. The U.S. Open takes place in. September. September. Um, mm-hmm. And so that would happen. The U.S. Women's Open takes place in November down at Champions. Um, in a very, very strange and terrible way, how big of an opportunity and how much of a boost did the U.S. Open Championship, U.S. Women's Open Championship, how much of a boost did they get from actually being sports that were taking place rather than many other sports and many other you know seasons that either were dramatically shortened up or changed baseball plays a 60 game season it sort of feels strange the world series happens okay the nba season goes into a bubble and they're sort of doing those things and it's difficult to measure how successful that was in terms of like audience engagements and things like that i think people were into it but it's hard to tell it felt like the us open and the us women's open were significantly bigger that at least and again you're I'm within this. So I, I was, you know, sort of already going to watch anyway. But it, right. more people got dialed in. And the U.S. Open is one of those events, at least on the men's side, with the Masters where people have nothing to do with golf take to social media and be like, holy cow, did you see what Bryson DeChambeau did? Oh, my gosh. Sure. Look what Dustin Johnson just did. Celebrities, all kinds of personalities, will for a little while, they'll be following this stuff. How big an opportunity, when looking back on on those tournaments, did we get a boost for a terrible reason from COVID? Do you think, in terms of just the buzz that those championships created?
1: Yeah, I mean, I can't, re- I can't really speak to like the specific numbers. I'm sure you could ask Craig or, or Navin, but I'm, um, I, you know, just tangentially, like yeah. it, when you look at social media, it, people were talking about it, yeah, and the attention was there, and I think that, you know, that just from my perspective, like. I don't know if the ratings were so much higher. I don't know if viewership was incredibly higher, but it was exciting that everybody got their own time. You know, we you had the you had the the Masters had its own moment being in the fall, and that created a new storyline for the U.S. Open. We were you know we were also in the fall, and the U.S. Women's Open being in the winter. Um, it just provided a different story. It, it was something different. It was unique. It wasn't the middle of the summer like we're used to. So I think you know, just from from my perspective, it was different, and we learned we learned a lot. You know, typically the Women's Open is like almost right before. The men's open yep. so it was interesting to see what it was like you know just being a staff member and having a big time difference um to to give more attention to the different championships so i think it was just different i don't know if it's better i don't know if it's worse i think you know to, in my mind i i think of major championships and i think of I, in the men's and the women's game happening spring and summer so i'm excited for them to come back to their normal times this year so
0: I think we all are, um, and it's it's the championship season. You know, at golf is yeah. we we're around it all the time. But to me, golf is certainly here in the Northeast something that hopefully we can sneak in shortly after St. Patrick's Day. Although, I got to tell you, I'm not holding my breath right now. It's, there's, uh, a a of of,
1: yeah. there's a lot of <laughs>
0: snow. Yeah, there's gonna be a lot of wet after a lot of snow. But if you know, basically like April through say like Halloween, I've always feeling like if I'm in November and I'm playing golf in the Northeast, I'm stealing and I'm happy. Right. to Right. Um, I, you know, but realistically there is a championship season. It usually culminates after you know, historically then I, cause we've changed around everything now after the open championship and this year it'll be after Ryder cup. So like once we get to the end of September and the FedEx cup has finished its season, all the major championships for the men and the women basically are, are, are finished up. There's some big tournaments and big events that we get jazzed about, but the championships are you know, in my mind, April through September. And yeah, that's there, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, tell me about for the ladies, because in addition yeah. to working, obviously, with the USGA and having that be, I'm sure more than a full time gig. This is a fascinating organization and movement to me. And for people who aren't aware, uh, for the ladies dot net uh, is where you can learn about this. And Abby, what is it? And why was it necessary to, to start this?
1: Yeah. So we are a female-based community with the intent to get more young professional women playing golf, Put to put it as simply as possible. Um, but the reason I started it was when I was at Titleist, I I was just realizing that there wasn't a lot of opportunities for young professional women to learn how to play golf. Um, growing up, I had a great junior golf experience. And even today, there are amazing programs like LPGA, USGA Girls Golf that are tailored to get young girls into the game and to play the sport. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I noticed that there were a lot of opportunities for executive women or women in leadership positions to participate in these like executive women's leadership days. Um, but most of those time, most of the time, it was open to like CEOs or CMOs, women of you know the the top leadership positions, and. I noticed there just wasn't anything in between. Um, There was a lot for junior golf. There was a lot for women who maybe were um, in leadership positions or maybe they were retired and now had had the time to uh, go learn how to play golf at a country club, but there wasn't, there wasn't a lot available for young professional women. So in March, 2019, I hosted my first for the ladies clinic and I invited a few friends um, because growing up, I didn't have many friends who played golf, but now they were all like, well, I want to learn or like, where, how do I even start? What's the process here? And so I held an event in March, 2019 at Newport indoor golf and 70 women showed up and I was like, in awe. I couldn't believe that that many women want, like, had randomly heard about this for the ladies clinic that um, I was going to be hosting. And from there, I just realized if you create the opportunity for women to learn how to play the game or just be introduced to the sport, mm-hmm. they're going to take advantage of it. And my thing has always been, if you can remove the barriers and just let women decide if they like the sport and want to play, then then we've already set them up for success. But when there's barriers in the way or you feel intimidated, we don't even give people the opportunity to to give it a shot. So that's how For the Ladies started. Um, Our bread and butter is the clinics and they're truly just introduction to golf clinics. You're not getting like intense instruction. You're not getting a one-to-one experience per se, but you're being introduced to the game. You're seeing, you know, what is the golf apparel look like now. It's not just khakis and a polo. What does instruction look like though? How do I hold a golf club? What does the atmosphere look like? I've never even stepped foot on a golf course. Like what does this look like? And and we provide that opportunity. Um so that that's what we do. That's the clinics and it's expanded beyond the for the ladies clinics we do other things we have you know a podcast and we have a directory that you can sign up for to find other women in your in your area who play golf um and we have a newsletter we're doing as much as we can and obviously that is because covet hit yeah i
0: think it's what in i'm tired of having to sort of bring this out but but trying to make something good out of something that was lousy it it would sure. seem like and, and i want to hear if you would agree or disagree with this but Last year with 2020, once golf courses around the U.S. were pretty much back up and running, which I think Massachusetts was the last one in early May that that reopened. um, We changed a lot of the ways that golf is played. Um, A lot of the traditions and a lot of the things that are the rituals around the game went right out the window. And for me personally, good riddance. Uh, I'm fine with that. Did that make it easier to get people, especially women who had maybe never played, involved because the process, for example, like, oh, I'm going to play today and I don't have a lot of experience, like, checking in, which is one of these, like, more arcane things, all of a sudden becomes something that I would do at my local place, like, on my phone. Sure. Um, that, like, doing, you know, I'm, most people then started, a lot of people started to walk a golf course rather than, like, dealing with a cart, going with stars, like, taking the pin out, standing in like, all, all It seemed like everything became significantly more casual and just like, hey, let's just be cool about this. And yeah. I would think that that makes it easier or am I being naive about this?
1: So in 2020, we didn't like host any clinic. So from the four ladies perspective, it was kind of a, a kind of a wash. Um, but playing golf and just being able to go out there, sure, it was a little bit easier. Um, at the same time, it was extremely like crowded, like that you couldn't get a tea time because that yeah. was the only activity that you could do. Um, so I would say it's a mix of things, you know, I am a little hesitant to say that all of the traditions and rituals are, are gone. Um, I think there's a lot of struggles and a lot of issues that we all need to face still when it comes to like, especially when it comes to like imposter syndrome in golf. Like I want, I want to make women feel like they should be out there and, um, I think we've got we've come a long way, and 2020 like definitely opened people's eyes to the sport, which is amazing. Um, but I hope we can maintain it, and I hope that we don't revert maybe to some of our old ways.
0: Hallelujah! Um, people <laughs> who may be unaware or just not have given this very much thought at all, um, what are some of the biggest barriers, in your opinion, to getting more women, especially say uh, women? 30 and under involved with golf? How do we get them to feel comfortable in and around golf facilities?
1: Yeah, I think there's a few things. Um, I'll, I'll just offering more opportunities that are female focused, you know, a wine and dine at two o'clock on a Tuesday. Isn't, is it super realistic for a young professional? Like I'm not going to take off work to just go play golf. I, I can't, I don't have enough days. <laughs> um, but You know, I think that would be one way, you know, think about what your women's programming looks like and think about the audience that you're trying to reach. If it's a young professional female, you're going to have to look at the Saturday or Sunday, or you're going to have to look at the after five o'clock crowd um, and make it, you know, create those opportunities for women. I also think that some of the other barriers come with the instruction. Um, Instruction can be expensive, but that's because it's worth it. Um... And because that's what you need, in my opinion, to get better at playing golf and feeling more comfortable. But how can we be flexible? Can we create clinics that are maybe for six women to, you know, come back uh, week after week to learn a new lesson in golf rather than maybe a private instruction? It's always to me, you know, doing something in golf is always more fun with a friend, especially as a female. Um, You don't want to be the only person walking around the golf course who is of the female gender like you you want to have somebody else out there with you um and and that's what i'm always trying to to preach i guess is like the barriers to entry are a little bit on the golf course but also on you know the golfers themselves you you ha- i think you have to go out there with a friend um especially if you're just learning how to play golf um but then there also needs to be opportunities for women do you have rental clubs that are for for women at your course because if i'm a brand new golfer I might not go buy golf clubs. I don't know if I'm gonna like this sport. Why would I go spend, you know, twelve hundred dollars on a set of golf clubs? Yep. So, do you have rental clubs for women? Just thinking with you know, thinking about that female perspective um it at seems, your facility, it, I think is huge.
0: It seems like it's something of a circular argument that I can just hear men in their 50s and 60s running golf facilities having within their own mind, okay, that sounds great. I'm gonna have rental sets for women maybe do clinics at you know when the daylight allows it seven o'clock on wednesdays or thursdays and and doing different programs but either a they're thinking if i buy these rental sets they're never going to get used because i don't have any women here anyway so you get into this cycle of like totally
1: oh, a chicken or go egg go situation go. Which yeah
0: is, which is total bs to me i'm like well if you don't have it then you're right you're not going to be out that money and you're never going to utilize it and you have to think beyond that um and then it's, yeah, it's just as simple as things like that. So my wife, who is uh, in her early 50s, is very eager to start and has been talking with friends. And I have been really encouraging her not just to play, but to do it with friends. Because anytime I think you learn something new, there is an element of, well, golf is hard for anybody to learn. And if you're going to go through that experience where it's going to be frustrating or challenging, Why not do it with other people so that you can sort of share that part and hopefully just relax yourself and put your little self a little bit more at ease. We're really fortunate to have a very simple, um, basic par three course, nine holes, that's at a practice facility about 30 minutes from our house. And it's where my kids go to take lessons and you can play holes. The first hole I think is like 80 yards, which for somebody who's learning, perfect absolutely perfect i think the longest hole might be like 250. great you know what have fun have at it to have experiences like that with friends who are also just learning to me feels ideal but that's also i think a rarity there just aren't enough of those types of facilities
1: there's not and i think that's why thinking about like if you're a facility and you want more people to come to your club or your golf course, think about the ways to be flexible. You know, there was a place I was going in New Jersey a lot this summer and they didn't have a nine hole rate. And I'm like, gosh, this is so frustrating. Like, I don't I don't wanna play 18 every time I go out there or I don't have time. And there were a few times I even just went by myself and I would just leave and I'm like, I wasted so much money just now. And I'm like kicking myself, but I love golf. So it's different. But if I'm somebody who's like newer to the sport and I can't, I don't, there's not even an option for me to play less than 18 holes, then I'm not going to go there. And and I think like, that's where we all just need to be more flexible. And I, you know, I can preach it as much as I want, but at this, at the end of the day, like we, you just have to kind of internalize like, okay, we want more people to come. What do we need to do? And like, there are solutions out there.
0: For sure. And it seems like it's one of those things where anybody who's got a level of business savvy and is trying to you know not to get totally yeah. you want to util- get higher utilization on your t-sheet then you're going to fill in within a reason because nobody wants to wait forever in a day on a t-box of course what's what's the problem with selling a nine holes there that otherwise would go unsold if you go up on any number of different apps at local golf facilities you're going to see plenty of like oh there's a foursome that can go off here 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 throughout the course of the day well Filling up nine holes, and if like you know, if it's going to cost forty dollars for eighteen, charging twenty five for nine on a golf uh, on a tee time that would otherwise go unsold, you you win like, and you hopefully get somebody who has a good experience, and they keep coming back a few more times, so you get that twenty five plus, and maybe they go into the pro shop, or maybe they take a lesson, or like, yeah, when it's more exclusionary, I, I more often than not do play nine holes rather than eighteen. Uh, my favorite yeah. summer is to wake up early get out for like say 7 or 7 30 play 9 and then be at my desk being able to work by like 9 15 9 30 in the morning i feel like i've been cheating it feels like I to right. school and i got my fix and now i can do it and i don't have to tell anybody that i already played today um and usually the way i play i don't cop to that anyways um i had a really interesting experience i went on an airplane two weeks ago for the very first time since the pandemic started um US Open was a drive for me, Travelers, Northern Trust, in the car, mm. felt totally safe, went to Arizona, um, double masked on the plane, was tested while I was out there, was basically hotel room to Whole Foods takeout to golf facility to hotel room. It was, right. that, that was it. Um, had a chance though to play over at Wico Pop, which uh, played the Saguaro course, which is rated by Golf Week Magazine as the number one course you can play in Arizona and it is sensational. Absolutely amazing. Um, loved it. Played with two women and one older guy. Um, I played from the purple tee. So I was playing at about 6,500 yards, which is about what I play at home. Loved it and adored it. The women were playing from the forward most tees. And I know that they took lessons and were serious players because one of the women would line up, put the peg down, and she would address the ball. Then take her club and sort of lay it across her hips to check her alignment. And that is a taught move. You don't just pick up a golf club and decide, I'm going to start doing this. Like somebody told you to do this and she did it on every shot and wow. she could really play. Yeah. And one of the reasons, or one of the things that was just sort of this aha moment for me is we played the ninth hole and it was maybe about 130 yards and I had a pitching wedge in there and promptly dumped it into a front bunker. And she, from her forward tee, played a pitching wedge right to the middle of the green, had a two-putt par, and went on her merry way. But as we were walking to the green, she happened to mention to me, it is so nice to be able to hit a pitching wedge to a par three. And I, I was sort of perplexed by this. I'm like, well, why? What's the big deal? And it sort of occurred to me that there aren't many tee boxes set up for the women's or the most forward tees. And women don't always play from the most forward tees, so I don't want to overdo sure. this. Um, but they did. And... I thought back, I'm like, okay, the other par three, which I forget the number, like she hit driver and just barely made over wow. Baranka and eventually got on the putting surface. And oh yeah, by the way, she made birdie on that hole. Um, then we get to number 18 and 18 is a downhill and then back uphill over this sort of little Baranka thing or whatever the hell they call it out there. And I hit my shot. The guy I'm playing with hit plays from one T4. He hits his shot to basically the same place I am. And I see them walking down the hill and they walk right past the most forward tees and they keep walking and i'm walking behind them, and i and i s- caught up and i asked them, are you just not going to play this hole i said oh no even from the most forward tees we can't reach the fairway we can't clear that even with driver and it was maybe about 140 yard shot and like i said it's a sensational Crenshaw on core design it's a destination if you're out there in the in the scott's dealer and have a chance to play it but it made me sort of stop to think that on the one hand, we had this great thing where the women in the most forward tees could play a pitching wedge the way that the whole theoretically quote unquote is supposed to be played on another, there were one or two holes where they couldn't play. Um, And I don't know that this is a necessarily like a women's specific question or sort of situation that I'm bringing up to you. Um, But how, how many courses do you think aren't necessarily designed for women or for beginners to be able to play them well? Because, Certain holes and certain shots, you know, the the stereotypical Florida par three, you're hitting it over water. There is no bailout, right? Which, if you're somebody who has struggling, you've taken two lessons, and this is maybe your first round of golf, and you've got a hundred yards that you have to carry. That's intimidating. It's it intimidating for everybody. There's no way around it. And what what in your opinion, from your experience, like, is that a common problem, or is that just not? Is that more of a regional? It doesn't really kick in that much.
1: Um. I think it is a a common problem, and it doesn't matter the gender. Say you're just an amateur golfer who needs to play from the forward tees. Um, If you are playing the forward tees and, like you said, you have to carry it 100 yards to be safe in the fairway, that's not – that's not beneficial to the amateur golfer. They're not going to enjoy it. They're probably just going to pick up and then toss it to the front of the fairway. So I, I've i listened to a lot of, you know, the Friday and Andy Johnson commentary about this. And and they're great when they talk about it. You know, any any course where you can kind of, you know, Hit it and bump and run it, or the you know the fairways are running and you can let the ball just like roll across. That's beneficial to an amateur golfer. So if you need, you know, if if your course doesn't look like that, but you can change the tee so that that's the play. Mm -hmm. then then that's definitely beneficial i I would say to anybody i've definitely i've run into the issue a lot um i've played a lot of florida courses where i i always play the forward tees and i still have to you know carry it over a marsh or a pond whatever it may be and it's the worst thing in the entire world but there's a lot of courses you know that are now they they understand that and hopefully like we—it's it, just somebody needs to be thinking in that way, you know. Somebody needs to say like, mm-hmm. "Hey, this isn't this isn't working. This tee box is not working." And and no, not every course has the money to create a new tee box. But then just put it in the fairway, and that's okay. You know, just drop the tees in the fairway or or wherever, like a you know a flat patch of land is. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's definitely something that like you have to be more cognizant of, and it's something you you guys clearly saw firsthand. <laughs>
0: It's Yeah, and and I'm not going to lie. It's not something I've really given a whole lot of thought to because yeah. uh, most of the if you don't play
1: with people that are yeah. truly amateurs or like beginners, like you're not going to see it.
0: So the next time I'm out and I have an opportunity to play with somebody who is very new to golf, yes. what are some mm-hmm. of the things as somebody who has been around the game, fortunately, for a long time, that I need to keep in mind or that I should do or not do to make them feel – More comfortable or less self conscious that they have a better time?
1: Yeah. Well, one, inviting them is a great first step. Mm -hmm. Um, But additionally, I think like try to understand how much they want to be told and guided. There are some, you know, I have a friend that I played with this time um, this year who she was just learning how to play golf. And so we would play together a lot and she would hit it, you know she would miss it or she would hit it into the trees. And I'm like, hey, if you wanna just pick it up and throw it in the fairway, like I'm gonna do the same thing. And maybe like I kind of like lead by example. If I have a really bad shot, I just say I just say, hey, I'm just gonna throw this here because I wanna make her or him feel more comfortable. If that's not what they want, like they want to hit, they want to play it as it lies. Also let them do that too. But like, just have that conversation up front so you can be encouraging. Um, And then, you know, everybody wants, nobody wants to embarrass themselves, but at the same time, you have to remind them that like, nobody's good. (laughs) The people who are good are being paid. That's why, that's why they're, you know, playing out there professionally. So I, you know, invite them out. Try to understand how they want to play the sport. You know, are they like, gosh, I just want to like maybe hit a few shots and then drop it on the putting green. Great. Um, so I would say like those are the two big things. And and anytime you could invite somebody new is is going to be a good thing for the sport.
0: I, I, I love playing with people that are new. One of the things that I make a point of never doing unless they ask and sometimes after a few holes like I'll, so is is I don't give swing tips because I'm not a pro.
1: no oh my gosh like you see
0: something (laughs) relatively new and you're like okay this is screaming for help but it's not my place let me
1: figure it out yeah
0: part of the journey is getting to this and maybe afterwards or on the turn i might just be like hey if i've got something an idea for you but it's up to them.
1: But you tell me if you want me to right. share. With
0: I'm not going to like, yeah. I, my name is not Nicholas. Like it's not right. my position to sort of come off here. But as, as I'm going out here shooting like 85 or 86. Yeah. I'm not the one to be looking for swing tips from. So um, yes,
1: it's supposed to be fun. Keep yeah. it fun, And, yeah. and that's okay.
0: I'm when I play, I'm all about the fun. That's why the music is going. Yeah. There's going to be food. There could right. drink. And And when I leave, I want to be eager to come back. And hopefully play with people that I have a good time with. And that to me is like what the, it's supposed to be fun. It's a game, right? Like what the hell? Let's go. Um, Abby, I really, really appreciate your coming on. Can you once again sort of tell people where they can follow you and learn more about For the Ladies?
1: Yeah. So For the Ladies, you can follow us on Instagram. It's F-O-R-E, the ladies. And then the same thing. uh, (laughs) And then our website is for fortheladies.net. Uh, That's where you can see where all the upcoming clinics are, where you can sign up for the directory, you know, find ways to support for the ladies as we are a nonprofit organization. And um, yeah, thanks for the support. Thanks for having me on.
0: You got it. Best of luck. Thanks a lot. Thanks.
1: Talk to you soon.
0: You got it.